Welcome to Key Change, creating opera for all voices. I'm your host, Andrea Fellows-Feinberg. Three years ago, two artists, composer Chandler Carter and librettist Diana Solomon Glover, submitted a concept for a new work to opera for all voices called This Little Light of Mine, featuring critical episodes from the life of Fannie Lou Hamer, a voting rights activist. Now, you might not immediately know that name, but you probably heard among many, many of her famous quotes, this one, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. This was delivered during her speech at the 1964 Democratic National Convention in Atlantic City. That speech marked a pivotal moment in the civil rights movement. And now, here we are over 50 years later, and we are at another pivotal moment in America. And listeners, I don't think I have to spell that out for you. Some of the enduring premises of Opera for All Voices have centered around the vision of reframing opera as an art form that can be nimble, work that is relevant to the times, lives, and stories of Americans, and that can be performed in unconventional spaces. Did I say unconventional spaces? Originally, we had a plan for this new opera called This Little Light of Mine, and then 2020 came along. Unconventional spaces. Beth Greenberg, who is the stage director attached to this project, approached me in May with an idea. The idea was we have to get the voice of Fannie Lou Hamer out into the world. It's critical. Her voice is what we need right now. From that came Is This America, which is also from one of the quotes of Fannie Lou Hamer's. And a performance, a live performance, on the deck of the oil tanker, the Mary A. Whalen in Red Hook, Brooklyn, in association with our partner, Portside, New York. This performance, we believe, is the first live opera performance in New York since the pandemic shut down and we all went into shelter in place. The event took place on October 10th. It was recorded and now will be presented as a world premiere on October 23rd in partnership with the Center for Contemporary Arts in Santa Fe. Since you're hearing this after that premiere took place, I've got good news for you. Because we live in these unique times, That recording exists on the CCA's website in their archive section of their living room series. And to make it super easy to find, the link for that will be in the show notes in your episode description in your app. On this bonus episode, we're talking with Diana Solomon Glover, the librettist for This Little Light of Mine, and Latoya Ratleaf, who is the grandniece of Fannie Lou Hamer. During our conversation, Diana describes a particular scene from This Little Light of Mine that's also featured in Is This America on a bus with Fannie Lou Hamer and others who are on their quest to register to vote. Their bus is stopped and boarded by a police officer. Everyone on that bus in that moment fears for their safety and probably their lives. At that moment, Fannie Lou Hamer starts very quietly, very softly singing This Little Light of Mine. Opera for All Voices has a tagline and that is stories for our time. Fannie Lou Hamer's story is a story for our time. And now, here's our conversation from the day before the premiere of Is This America? This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine. Hello, Latoya. Hello, Diana. Thanks for joining us on Key Change. Hello, Andrea. Hi. This is a, a, 
very interesting time in our country. And I think we all have things about 2020 that we want to keep and some we'd like to give back. But one of the things that I feel has been really amazing about 2020 is how we've been able to create community across time and space and to be connected to you, Latoya, to talk about Fannie Lou Hamer, who is your grand aunt, and bring you into our world of this little light of mine and is this America has been one of the greatest kind of gonzo bonkers kind of (laughs) happenings. So I thought it'd be great if you all would just speak to who Fannie Lou Hamer is for you. Latoya, we know she's your grand aunt, but she's so much more. For me, she's constant inspiration and a daily reminder that anything can be achieved and that we as humans, specifically us in America, that we have the ability to change the lives for not only ourselves, but for those around us. And very early on in life, I always wanted to give back. I always wanted to be a part of making people feel good and feel welcome and Even, you know, as a kid, whether it was being able to go out of class and read to the younger students or giving away my toys or begging my family to come and volunteer, there was always a sense of community and the idea that we just have to be there for each other. And a part of that was hearing her story growing up and understanding that she took she took kind of a position in life that. I want to change the world and specifically I want to change it in a way that people that are with me now and those that come after me will have opportunities that everyone in this country should have. Diana, you remember that call we were on because we talk every week about this little light of mine and we were on the call with Bob Dundas from Florida International University and he said, he said, I have been in touch with a relative of Fannie Lou Hamer. And time stopped for me at that moment. And once we were finished with our meeting, I asked him if, if he could get in touch with LaToya for me and if I could actually speak with her because I have been wanting someone who knew Fannie Lou and then to be connected to someone who was related to her and someone who I found out in, in actually talking to her shares the same spirit. And so it was an incredible moment for me and for all of us to make contact with LaToya. So LaToya, take me back to that moment when you first heard about this little light of mine and Is This America, the two events. Well, I believe in timing and I believe things happen as they should. So it was a pretty rough day. So I answered the phone because I've gotten accustomed to answer the phone from numbers I don't know anymore. And when he told me what he was reaching out about and he told me what FIU was doing, I I almost was brought to tears because as Diana mentioned before, there's a lot of people that don't know the true depth of her story, the true depth of what she had to overcome and what she did. And the fact that not only has this past year, her story and her image and everything has been shared more, but now there's going to be an opportunity for it to be presented in such a beautiful and artistic manner so that, you know, when you look at an opera, the amount of emotion that it invokes in you and the feelings of trauma or sorrow or happiness that you get from it, now her story can be told in such a beautiful way that it's just it was amazing. And I, I'm still at a loss for words to that's going to be her, that she gets to have that and she deserves it. Diana, do you remember when you first heard of Fannie Lou Hamer? 
I do not remember specifically, but I have a sense of always knowing her, not necessarily knowing the full breadth of her involvement in the civil rights struggle, but I always knew her name and I always knew the quote, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired, but I really didn't know her full story until much later in life. So Fannie Lou Hamer has been with you as long as you can remember. When was it that you were called to dive deeper into her story? It was essentially when Chandler Carter, our composer, sent me an email and asked me if I wanted to write the libretto. And uh, I jumped at the chance. And I started to just devour everything I could find about her. We have a, a book that was written about her that is just voluminous. I went on the internet, I listened to her singing. There's so much available, and I was surprised to know that, there's so much available on the internet about her. There are interviews with her. There's all the transcripts of the various speeches that she gave. So it was surprising, but it was also very gratifying to find out that there was so much of her available. And yet there was never this cohesive sense of her place in American history. For spacious skies, for amber waves of grain, for purple mountain majesties above the fruited plain, America, America. That's something we've talked about a lot in this project is the importance of getting Fannie Lou Hamer's voice out into the world. LaToya, are there people in the family that talk about her voice? Because it was both her speaking voice, but it was also her singing that inspired people and brought people, not just inspired them, it helped them. And from what I know and, and what Diana's brought into the libretto, her voice is what gave them resolve, I guess. That's something that has been woven into the libretto. So how's that talked about in your family? I think that's kind of created a custom, like a life and as far as my family and our traditions and when we get together, like we, we are constantly listening to music. We're constantly, everyone singing, everyone is kind of celebratory, even if we're getting together for a small group of five people. And that was just a part of how, especially when you think about it, because I was born in Mississippi and my family, of course, spent their adulthood in Mississippi. My mom didn't leave Mississippi until, you know, she was in her, her early 30s. And that song, that music, that that's just a part of being a Black Southern family and Black Southern culture in Mississippi. So as Fannie Lou Hamer used her voice in so many different ways, when you speak to the ideas of her singing and the power behind it, that was a way to deal with whatever was happening in life. And at that time, so much was happening in life and so many people were going through different issues. And I think for my family and, and for how that kind of transcends and translates to how we get together and how we kind of embrace each other, it's just been embedded into our, our history and our traditions. And it is something that I wish more people, when you speak to 
her attributes and what she's brought to the world, more people recognize that and more people hear her voice because she had a beautiful voice, a powerful voice. And it is, you know, like I said, it's just something that's become a family kind of a tradition for us. A beautiful voice and a powerful voice and the way her inflection. We were talking earlier about slowing down and taking time. I mean, she was a masterful orator for sure. Diana, I know that's woven into this little light of mine and is this America. You talk a little bit about how did you do that? One of the things that uh, was so striking to me, I was a little girl when I was watching TV and watching things going on in Chicago and Detroit and I was brought up in St. Louis and nothing like that was going on in St. Louis as far as I knew. And I thought, look at how brave, I, I watched children, I watched young people being set upon by dogs and sprayed with fire hoses. And I thought, well, what if something like that came here? What gives these young people the courage to face this? And I thought, would, would I have that courage if, if something like this came to St. Louis? And years later, I realized that in large part, the courage came from the music. The music was such an integral part of the civil rights movement. People came together and they started to make music together and then it suddenly, it, it took on a life of its own. It, it transformed their fear into solidarity and, to, and into certainty. And I was always blown away by that, by the truth of that. And I wanted to represent that in the opera. So when we have the moment on the bus where Fannie Lou Hamer begins to calm everyone's fear, she just intuitively knows to start singing. This little light of mine. Her voice. It's like a cool train. And you can't kill the soul's thirst for freedom. Somehow, Fannie Lou's voice threaded the heavens to rain down the holy of holies. Everybody on that bus and the police was washed in it. Let it shine, let it shine. Everywhere I go, Lord, I'm gonna let it shine. Let it shine. Everywhere I go, Lord, I'm gonna let it shine. Everywhere I go, Lord. And she just began quietly, and it galvanized the intention, and it turned what could have been a horrible disaster into an instructive moment. It not only transformed the moment on the bus, the experience on the bus for the people on the bus, but it rained down upon everybody, and it transformed that moment from one of unspeakable fear and uncertainty to even those who were gathered in opposition, those people who were, the, the white people who were gathered there hatefully were transformed in that experience. There's this theory that we sang before we spoke. The Singing Neanderthal, you probably have seen that book. And it's in moments like this, I believe that, because on um, what occasions do we sing? 
We sing when we're scared. We sing when we feel alone. We sing to comfort, lullabies. This is a testimony to that theory. Latoya, you and I were talking about this time of acknowledging and the awareness that things have not been right for far too long, for 250 years at least, have not been right in this country. Also, in this time, we're all in isolation and shelter in place or whatever you want to call it. So to leave that quiet isolation and go out into the world It takes a special kind of not just courage, as Diana was talking about courage, the call to action to me is so, it's reverberating right now. I mean, how can we not, not leave our houses, not show up? If you would talk a little bit about what your experience has been in the last six months. Well, I always, because I I still have people that message me because of what happened back in May and they say, you're very brave and you're very courageous. And for me, it just seems weird because I always felt that you just help. When you see something wrong, you you go out and you do what it takes to be a part of making it better. So over the last six months and, and specifically in May, when we across the, the country and across the world, we saw what happened to George Floyd. And I think it speaks to us going through a pandemic, people being locked in their homes and already being disconnected from the world that we've known. And to see something so traumatic, to see something so devastating, I think it just inspired and it created this really large amount of emotion for so many people and and they wanted to do something. And, And same for me. And as I start to see that more people were discussing what happened, as I looked around social media and the amount of conversations that were being had about the George Floyd situation, about the issue with policing in this country. And it was emotional, but it was also comforting to know that people were discussing something that for me as a Black woman in this country and having Black brothers and Black uncles and Black nephews, that's my norm. That is something that I always worry about with them. And I remember talking to my brother on May 30th before I attended my first demonstration in Miami. And I said, I'm going out today. I'm going out for you because I I, I don't want to ever turn on the TV or get a text message and say something has happened to you. And my first demonstration was on May 30th in Miami, Florida. And I was so amazed and, and overcome with emotion by the diversity of individuals that were out there. You couldn't tell who, what the age, there were different ages, different races. There were so many different signs, unfortunately, so many different names of other individuals because George Floyd is the, the catalyst. But when you look back and as you look through the, the months, the time that has passed since then, there's new victims. So you're having this shared experience with people that may not look like you, but that share that same desire to create change. And because of that experience down in Miami, I went to Fort Lauderdale, Florida the next day, and it was the same thing. I I couldn't tell you if there were more Black people, more white people, more adults, more children. There were thousands of people there. And then it was community. It was a sense of being together because we want better. And Same thing. It was a wonderful time. And as I was actually leaving the event, 
There was just a point where, unfortunately, kind of the environment shifted a little bit. There were several people that were there and they were clearly agitated about something. And I never understood why. And I didn't find out until I was actually in the hospital. But because of that moment and the intensity, there was a time where I was getting ready to leave the event. And as I was leaving, I was unfortunately hit in the face with a rubber bullet by a police officer. And I still can vividly remember the moment of it happening, the impact and the pain and kind of how things slowed down. But I don't like to focus on that so much. I focus on the fact that there were probably five people immediately that ran towards me and picked me up and said, come with us and we're going to take care of you. And I focus on that moment, especially because they were three black men <laughs> that came and picked me up and their cops that were around. There was a sense of danger and they came and they saved me. And I realized that I'm out here for you and you stopped what you were doing and put yourself in a position to make sure that I was okay. So it kind of came full circle that we're together in this, even in this unfortunate event of what was happening, we all, they came together to make sure I was okay and got me to the hospital. And I still just, it's still a very kind of traumatic event for me, but it's still also the reason why I'm out every weekend doing voter registration that anytime someone reaches out to me to talk about what happened, I answer and that I share my story as much as possible because for some people, it has shown the why we were out there and why it's important for this change to happen in this country. Diana, I thought we could talk a little bit about what took place on October 10th and all of these artists who came out, also came out of their cocoons or their homes and gathered together on the deck of the Mary A. Whalen to bring Is This America to Life. Can you take our listeners there? It was really extraordinary. It was a gorgeous fall day. We had all prayed uh, that the weather would hold. The skies were incredibly blue, and here we come, a troupe of intrepid performers, musicians, to ply our art that we have been unable to do for seven months. It was the first opera, live opera, done in the state of New York since the, the shutdown. People were euphoric to sing, to make music together, to engage in high art and intention together. So there's also this question about story and, and social activism. And you and I, Diana, were just on a call with Jerry Johnson, who is the music director for Is This America, who was talking about when artists gather together and musicians get together, it's a political act already. That was so moving, what, what she said. Just being part of a, of a community making music, like I said, is a political act. And I hadn't actually thought of that. Of course it is. And, and sh just showing up, showing up in that way. Andrea, that blew me away. Yeah. To hear Jerry say that when you look on a stage, on an orchestral stage, you see who is represented. That is a political statement, that it represents an ideology 
I had never thought of it in those terms, but it's absolutely correct. And it's something that we need to address, and it's something that we need to change. I mean, you, Diana, and thank you for this, you wrote me after the recording that this piece, as it continues on on and to have a life, it has to look like the world as we want it to be, not as the way the world has been. Absolutely. One of the things that is very important to me in the life of this piece is not only that it tell the story of a great American hero. I mean, it is uh, Fannie Lou Hamer's story is the perfect example of what we call American exceptionalism. Yes. And uh, one of the things that is very important to me about the life of this piece is that we not only tell her story, but we set precedents in terms of the principal characters all played by African-American women. And one thing that is of the utmost importance is that we set the precedent of having an African-American female conductor who are few and far between. And I think that the way we begin the piece is the way people will try to preserve it. And we'll remember the piece back to Jerry, who is our conductor, is our music director, that when they see her at the podium, that is a political statement. That is a political act. Yes. Latoya, as we wrap up our conversation, what would you like our listeners to incorporate into their own understanding of who they are from Fannie Lou Hamer's life and her legacy? That's a good question. One of her most uh, famous quotes is, nobody's free until we're all free. And it doesn't matter if you are volunteering for animals, if you're volunteering for hunger, if you are getting out there and you're registering people to vote. I think that as you go through life, you you have to understand that your identity isn't separate from everyone else's, that we're not in this world and we're not in this country to to just be us, to have to be in solo act. We really are a group act. We really are supposed to help each other. I remember a couple weeks after what happened to me and I saw a news story about an elderly woman that was in this very wealthy area and it was just her and she had her sign and she was out there by herself and she's in her 70s and she's advocating for black lives. And it was a white woman, it was an elderly white woman and she was alone. And that touched me so much And it's not that there were thousands of people there. It was one person that didn't have to do it, that has lived her life, that is can live in her peace and and can just enjoy her retirement. But she said, I'm going to continue to advocate for others until the day that I leave this earth. And I think it's important that everyone understands that the the success of your life when you're, you're on your deathbed and you're thinking about what you did, if you were able to touch people along the way, if you were able to create a more safe environment for others, if you were able to spread love, that's going to bring you the greatest peace in this world. And at any point in time when you can be there for someone, we should, because that's what makes us human. And that's what continues to bring life into this world. How about for you, Diana? What do you want people to take away 
from knowing more about Fannie Lou Hamer and her legacy. I want people to be certain of her importance in the arc of American democracy. I want people to understand that they stand on her head and shoulders. That before Breonna Taylor, before Sandra Bland, there was Fannie Lou Hamer. She was Black Lives Matter. And I want people to know that she gave her life to make sure that you have a right to vote, that you have a right for your voice to be heard, that your vote is not a a popularity contest, that you are voting to preserve a democracy, which is not a state of being, but democracy is an act. And if you don't tend to it, if you don't wholeheartedly preserve it, act to preserve it, you don't get to live in a democracy. It will die. Well, I'm going to lay down my burdens. Down by the riverside. Way down. Down by the riverside. Way down. Down by the riverside. I'm going to lay down my burdens. Down by the riverside. I won't study. In addition to protesting and showing up on the importance of Black Lives Matter, you're also advocating and and socially active about getting out the vote, LaToya. Yes. And actually at the demonstration in Fort Lauderdale, prior to what happened, I was passing out voter registration forms and telling individual how to become active and how to start voting in their, not only the presidential election, but local elections. So I've always, especially in recent years, learned the value of being able to express your voice and casting your vote and how important that is to kind of change the community around you and change how the world around you looks. And beyond that, just understanding the amount of individuals that have sacrificed their lives, have sacrificed their freedom in order to make that happen. So for me, you, you vote. It doesn't matter if the person that you're voting for doesn't look exactly like you, doesn't align exactly with your values or with what you think you want the world to look like. You're voting to change that and you're voting to connect with more individuals and say, "Okay, now that you're here, this is what we want. This is what our community is looking for. And if you see that people don't look like you, that don't align with your values, then you can get out (laughs) and begin to run and begin to advocate for your community. And since what happened in the last six months, there's been an increase of more women, more black people, more Asian, more Hispanic people that have stepped up and said, "Okay, I don't see anyone that's advocating for me, so I'm going to advocate for us. So voting is it's the basic way of saying that, hey, this country needs to hear me. It needs to hear us. And we're going to make sure that at every step of the way, when decisions are being made, the decisions are being made for everyone and not just a small percentage of the population. Yeah. We have an opportunity, each one of us, we have an opportunity to contribute to change. And as you were saying, Latoya and Diana, we have voices and we can also show up for each other. And that's, that's an extraordinary truth. And when we feel 
when we're afraid. We don't think that we can make a difference. Your story about that one woman with her sign is a really powerful visual. So thank you for that. Also, I think everybody knows the song, This Little Light of Mine. My son was in his church group last night on Zoom, and they were lighting their pumpkins or jack-o'-lanterns and talking about the light within. And then they all started singing this little light of mine. And I'm like, what is going on? (laughs) (laughs) So that song is, it is within us. There's so many things that are coded into our understanding of who we are and how we are connected. And I'm so grateful to both of you. And again, back to the full circle that we can connect across time and space and we can connect to Fannie Lou Hamer, and that we can bring her back into our present. And I know she's been in your present, always Latoya, <laughs> and she's been with you a long time, Diana. But now I hold Fannie Lou Hamer inside of me too. And we're going to bring her to a lot more people. So Diana, is there anything else you, you want to say? I want to say how grateful I am to Santa Fe Opera and Opera for All Voices for your commitment to reframing opera so that it reaches a new and burgeoning audience. I just want to say thank you to to everyone and, and thank you for this piece that you're putting on. Thank you for creating this new additional momentum about Fanny. And most importantly, I'm really excited because this is going to be an experience that I get to share with my nieces and my nephews, and they're going to have a new new image and they're going to have new information and a new continued passion about her. And they're going to have a different way of seeing her story and seeing how powerful and how amazing she is. So this is an experience personal for me because I get to share it with my family and I get to share it with the people that I love. And my, especially my nephew, who is this, you know, the reason that I, like I said, I was out there. He's the six foot black guy who is the the sweetest and kindness and he'll kill me for saying this because he plays sports and he's supposed to be this aggressive guy but he's really the most adoring and loving young man and at any point in time if someone sees him and they could be kind of intimidated by him because of the way he looks and that's so unfortunate because he's just like anyone else and so I get to have this moment with him and with my niece and my brothers, and we get to have this point in our lives where we can reconnect again and we can experience her story in a way that we've never been able to experience it before. And we can continue to inspire to go out and to make things better. So thank you for this. This is so important to my family. I am so grateful to Latoya Ratliff and her family for their generosity of spirit and also to Diana and Chan for bringing this project to Opera for All Voices. Opera is always complicated, but it has been a particularly complicated process over the last three years. And we could never have imagined the reality we would be in and the relevance to this present moment of this work when we began. Looking ahead to season three of Key Change coming in 2021, we are continuing to develop new operas through Opera for All Voices. We are committed to the work of bringing these stories to the stage. We may not know what those stages will be, so stay tuned. Key Change is a production of the Santa Fe Opera in collaboration with Opera for All Voices. We are produced and edited by Andrea Klender of the Creative Imposter Studios. I'm your host, Andrea Fellows-Feinberg. Our audio engineer is Cabby at Cabby Sound Studios in Santa Fe. Theme music by Renee Orth with cover art by David Towsley. This podcast is made possible due to the generous funding from the Melville Hankins Family Foundation, the Andrew W. Mellon Foundation, 
and an Opera America Innovation Grant supported by the Anne and Gordon Getty Foundation. To learn more about Opera for All Voices, visit us at santafeopera.org.